Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we have uh, the awesome privilege of being able to just really draw back and reflect upon uh, those great men and women who have come before us and, and who really show us what it means to be the best version of ourselves. Certainly, we look at uh, those great Christian thinkers and how they help us better understand the faith, but also those who show us how to live out more faithfully uh, our Christian and Catholic vocation. And so from one Tuesday to the next, what we are about here on this radio program is an exploration in both uh, thought and deed uh, of what it means to be Christian and what it means to be Catholic. So it really is a privilege uh, to be with you, uh, to have you with us here in the studio. And it is Tuesday evening, so that means I have uh, John O'Hara with me. John, great to have uh, you back another evening. Thank you, Joe. Good to be back again. So, John, this evening we have the opportunity to talk about one uh, Hermanus of Constantinople. Now, what's interesting, we have been following, more or less, if you will, um, Benedict XVI's series, uh, his series of Wednesday audiences on the Church Fathers and the great ancient Christian thinkers, and uh, not so ancient, right, anymore. We are now in the 8th century, and he really takes it all the way up through, more or less, today. Now, we have skipped some figures. I have made the executive decision to skip a few (laughs) figures. And, you know, typically this figure, this evening, uh, Hermanus of Constantinople, would have been a figure we would have skipped. But in looking at him, there are a few things that struck me. Certainly his love for the liturgy, uh, some Mariological aspects, but also the time Uh, that he comes to us, or the historical context uh, that we find him in, specifically, okay, Constantinople, okay, he's Hermanus of Constantinople, and we begin to see, John, the rise of Islam and uh, how that impacts the one great (laughs) ancient Christian city of Constantinople. So what can we say about uh, one Hermanus of Constantinople? One Hermanos of Constantinople. Let me just get off topic. Today is the feast day of Saint Scholastica, sister mm, of one of our past uh, Saint Benedict. So I yeah. just want to bring that in that we all have all this continuity. That's right. That's right. Saint Hermanos of Constantinople died in 732. Let's go back to Muhammad, who died around 637. So Islam has been around for a while, and that will have something to do with the story of, of Saint Hermanos of Constantinople. Just to remind our listeners once again, the Christianity was divided a little bit between East and West. Now, mm-hmm. the Constantinople, well, the Greek was kind of their language, and in the Roman West, Latin was becoming their language. And they were divided not so much over doctrine, but over just the style of life and uh, who they, a little different culture, shall we say. St. Hermanos was a bishop. He was the patriarch of Constantinople from 715 to 730. And uh, he was quite to do uh, with liturgy. That's one of the reasons we're talking about him. And let me just mention the word icon. Let me just Mm. give our our listeners a dictionary definition of the word icon. And we all have heard of it. 
An icon is a noun, and it is an image or a representation. And a sample sentence from the dictionary was, Voyager will take his place alongside such icons of airborne adventure as the spirit of St. Louis. The Voyager, I assume, is a satellite that went to Mars, and we all know about the spirit of St. Louis, which hangs in the museum. So when you see the spirit of St. Louis, that airplane, that's an icon mm-hmm. of, of aviation history, which is mm-hmm. quite important. Now, that's an icon. What is an iconoclast? An iconoclast is one who seeks to overthrow tradition or popular ideas or institutions. Okay. One who destroys sacred or religious images. So an iconoclast is in a rebel. So uh, for purposes of our talk today, an iconoclast is someone who would go into a church with a sledgehammer and start to destroy the crucifix, something like that. An iconoclast could also be someone who burns a flag, Mm -hmm. takes an image, an icon, and destroys it to try to overthrow tradition. Mm -hmm. Right around 717, Islam was on the outskirts of Constantinople. That was a, a religion which spread violently by conquest, and they were getting the Saracens, one of their sects was getting quite close to Constantinople, and Constantinople was under siege for about a year. It was eventually broken, and they will come back centuries later, so mm-hmm. stay tuned. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> And during this time, there was quite a few processions with icons of the Virgin Mary and a lot of prayer devoted to her. And when this passed, life in Constantinople went back to normal. And about this time, a man named Leo III, he uh, became the emperor of Constantinople. And when things returned to normal, he wanted to get rid of all icons because uh, this, he felt, led to some sort of partisanship. The bishop of Constantinople, Hermanus, said no, that they are valuable for our religion and our liturgy. And in that conflict, there was difficulty. Mm -hmm. There was a synod in uh, 730 in which Leo essentially fired him as bishop. Remember, politics and church were virtually the same. Mm -hmm. So uh, Hermanos left Constantinople and went to a monastery where he died two years later. I want to get into the liturgical aspects and his writings a little bit, John, and his love and devotion for the liturgy. But before we do that, I wanted to touch upon something you talked about there, the procession. Mm -hmm. Okay, what took place there in those processions is they would um, elevate uh, just not images of uh, Mary, the mother of God, Theotokos, right? In the Greek, Theotokos means uh, the mother of God. But they also had a true relic of the cross. So they elevated these images, these sacramentals, these relics, if you will, and processed them through uh, the town streets, through the city streets. And it was through that procession, through that uh, devotional piety, through those prayers that for a time, as you noted, the siege stopped. And out from that, there was a rapid increase in a devotion to Mary, the mother of God, and icons for what they are versus for what they are not, and also uh, reliquaries. Now, when I was praying with this, a couple of things struck me here, John, the first of which is the importance of a procession. You know, we see these today. I remember Cardinal Dolan, a few years back, uh, he did a Eucharistic procession through the city streets of New York, and there is a a great to-do about what in the world is Cardinal Dolan doing. And out from that procession, which took several hours, there were conversions. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were moved. Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament was journeying through the streets. I think of the Walk for Life, where... What was, what was the total? Over 50,000 this past Walk for Life, January 22nd, where 
Over 50,000 people were peacefully praying through the streets. That has a huge impact upon people, not only those watching, but those who are actually processing with so many others. Uh, One can only imagine what a procession would have looked like 1,300 years ago when... (laughs) The Saracens were knocking on your uh, on your door, huh? I mean, it's really striking. Yeah, well, we had those uh, Walk for Life processions on two coasts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, the images from that were quite good. And uh, Yeah, I say 50,000 on the West Coast and, and over uh, 500,000 on the East Coast, Washington, D.C., uh, where the Walk for Life started. I speak of 50,000 on the Walk for Life West Coast. Yeah, you're right, John. I mean, liturgy is our public prayer. Mm-hmm. And our religious ideas are formed from our public get-togethers, the songs we sing, the the masses, and the uh, just the general liturgical things we do. And that was one of his strengths, mm-hmm. was, was that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have these processions which, uh, well said, John, are an extension uh, of our worship. And, you know, people look at this, I think, they look at a procession, and they think, well, that's kind of uh, cultic. But we have to understand what's going on here. You know, when you use the word cult, what are you saying? Uh, occult or cult? Because occult speaks to more of a divinization and magic. Cult just simply speaks to worship, right? We are worshiping the one true God. As it relates, John, to an icon or an image, or for that matter, a relic, these are windows into another reality. And uh, if we don't think this is biblical, let us go to, I'm thinking of uh, Acts 19, Okay, Paul. God is working miracles through Paul by his hands. No, through handkerchiefs and aprons that he touched, right? The people are taking handkerchiefs and aprons that St. Paul touched to people who are sick, and they're being healed. These handkerchiefs and aprons are relics because they're touched by St. Paul, and God is using them in a supernatural way. So the true relic of the cross yeah, I mean, it's going to have power to heal. It's going to have power to move. This is something that is is rooted in a biblical vision. And so this is the kind of thing that we're talking about. Incidentally, John, it would be important to note the word relic in its Latin translation uh, means remains. So what we're talking about are the remains of not only saints, okay, their bones and or what they touched, but also, of course, anything that would point to Jesus Christ, the true relic of the cross, the wood that he touched. This is a relic. And let's remember, by the time uh, St. Hermanus came, Christ had come. Christ was a human being with a human body and a face and all of that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as opposed to, let's say, biblical times when he had not come, remember, uh, the Jews uh, made a golden calf, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Christ did not want this. This is if you're going astray. But now that Christ has come as a human being, it, it makes sense for us to have representations of Christ, the human being, and, and to uh, use those images to help us in our prayer to raise our mind and our hearts to God through these uh, visual images. Yeah, and what uh, better image, what more profound image of uh, Christ than the cross that he died on? I mean, let us remember, John, you know, here we are in Constantinople. Well, was it not Constantine? Uh, directing one Bishop Macarius and, of course, his mother to lead excavations, and there they found Calvary and and the wood of the cross. We talked about St. Cyril of Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. who 20 years after they found the wood of the cross, speaking at that very spot, talking about the sacred wood. So it's all there, and uh, things that we need to be thinking about. There is in Constantinople a church, a very famous church, 
Now, I believe it is a mosque at this point, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of Christian stuff still there, including a probably the most photographed uh, icon of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's a mosaic, you know, with little stone pieces. It is absolutely gorgeous, and I think everybody has seen it, may not know, realize that it's in Constantinople, it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an in, an unfinished, but it's mostly finished, and it look it just, oh, gorgeous. Which, of course, today is Istanbul, Turkey. And it is to remember, as you bring that up, John, that... You know, Constantinople, as we look at, you know, Turkey today, you know, Turkey today is, you know, nothing but one mosque after another, but many of those mosques were once uh, Christian Catholic churches. We have the image of the circular dome belonging to the Muslim faith, but in fact, no, that's not true. Um, These were originally structures that were not only built for the Catholic Church, but those uh, dome-like structures actually acted as telescopes. Telescopes, right? Um, Certainly, there's a lot to be had there when you start talking about what was going on during the time of one St. Hermanus of Constantinople to appreciate the significance of who he is and and what he stood for. Yes, it is. Uh, Another thing about St. Hermanus is he had a devotion to Mary, Mm -hmm. and there were two devotions to Mary that he loved, one was her Immaculate Conception. Now, we celebrate that on December the 8th, and we also have Mary's birthday on September the 8th, nine months later. But even going way back, people celebrated her birth, her conception, free from original sin. He also celebrated the Assumption of Mary, Mary being taken body and soul into heaven upon her death because Christ wanted his mother nearby. And if she is in heaven, body and soul, with her son, who is in heaven, body and soul. If one asks Mary to intercede for them with their prayers, she is in a good position to do that. I mean, we don't pray to Mary, but we ask Mary to bring our prayers to her son, his, mm-hmm. his son who dispenses of grace. Through through Mary, yes. And I can hear our listening audience. The Immaculate Conception, are you, are you sure about that? Where is that in Scripture, right? I think we noted this last week, the importance of uh, the passage that John comes to us from Luke one twenty eight, in that angelic salutation, that right. angelic greeting from the angel Gabriel to Mary, Tomine. We talked about it yes. within the context of the importance of understanding some of the original Latin and Greek when we read Scripture. Well, I use that as an example or as an illustration of the importance of it, because the ke kartomene is, in the Greek, it's a, a perfect participle, which means it's an action completed in the past. And in that greeting, what is he saying? Hail, full of grace. Hail, you who have been already fully graced. Okay, you who have been graced from the beginning. Uh, so the gratia plena is full of grace. That's the, that's the Latin translation. And that was a key biblical passage to better understand the Immaculate Conception, that indeed she was already fully graced. Sarah in the Old Testament was found with grace. Uh, even Stephen in the book of Acts was full of grace, but it's a different Greek, you see. Wow. When you juxtapose uh, Mary full of grace and Stephen full of grace, they're two different Greeks. Why? Because uh, Luke, who also authors Acts, right, <laughs> wants us to see that with Mary's uh, plentitude of grace, fullness of grace, it is something entirely unique to who she is. Because what God does is he rolls up his divine sleeves and then Mary creates his divine masterpiece. Yeah. And in doing so, he creates her immaculate, yeah. right, immune from the stain of, of sin. 
And so she who has been fully graced. That's what Luke one twenty eight says. This isn't Joe or John carrying on in some arbitrary reflection. No, this is what Luke wants us to see, and he's explicit about it. So this is the biblical uh, scriptural reference, and there are others. Uh, and I don't want to spend the whole time talking about this, but uh, John, I can hear our listening audience asking that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, th- those were some devotions that he had, and I may want to get into this a little later. The, uh, the assumption of Mary into heaven was declared a doctrine of the church in 1950 by Pius XII. I mean, this was, uh, he spoke infallibly when he did this, and he had the uh, approval of the bishops of the church at that time. In his message, Munificentimus Deus, he mentions... Which in the Latin is the most bountiful God, yeah, he the most bountiful God. He mentions quotations from our saint today. Mm-hmm. And by the way, if you go on Amazon, you can buy a book by St. Hermanus of Constantinople about his liturgy and his prayers. Mm-hmm. Well, you noted this apostolic constitution, the most bountiful God, John. Why don't you go ahead and read this? It's directly from Pius XII's constitution, and it's really interesting, John. It struck me in reading this this document, which, again, the Pope is speaking ex cathedra, so he's speaking infallibly here. It's the last time a Pope, by the way, has spoken infallibly, uh, when he declared Mary dogmatically as assumed body and soul into heaven, uh, he's quoting <laughs> our figure from today, yeah. you know, 1,200 years ago. It, it's most striking. So why don't you go ahead and read? This is what Pius Twelfth includes in his uh, apostolic constitution, the most bountiful God, when he is talking about Mary assumed into heaven body and soul. Mine begins, could it ever happen, most holy mother of God, that heaven and earth feel honored by your presence, and you with your departure leave men and women without your protection. Now it is impossible to think such things. In fact, just as when you were in the word, you did not feel forgotten to the realities of heaven, so too, after you had emigrated from this world, you were not forgotten to the possibilities of communicating in spirit with mankind. You did not at all abandon those to whom you had guaranteed salvation. In fact, your spirit lives in eternity, nor did your flesh suffer the corruption of the tomb. You, O mother, are close to all and protect all, and although our eyes are unable to see you, we know, O most holy one, that you dwell among all of us and make yourself present in the most varied ways. Amen. I'm hearing those words, John, in the wedding feast at Cana. Do whatever he tells you. Right. Do whatever he tells you. That is is fundamentally her role in the heavenly Jerusalem. We pray to Mary. Okay, we don't worship Mary, right? We pray to Mary, just like we would pray to a friend. I say to you, John, can you pray for me because I'm going through this or that? We often go to friends. Hey, Johnny, hey, uh, Jean, can you pray for me because I'm going through this and that? We go to Mary because no one knows Jesus like Mary, and we say, Mary... (laughs) Pray for me. Take this prayer to your son so that you might intercede on our behalf. And what does she say to us? I will do it. Do whatever he tells you. Correct. Do whatever he tells you. Those last words that come to us from Scripture from Mary, very important. And I'm also thinking of Revelation 12, where we have a woman who is crowned with 12 stars, right? So you have a a crowning. In fact, St. Hermanus of Constantinople, as well as 
Pius XII talks about this, the, the scripture passage from Revelation 12, where the woman is crowned with 12 stars. The assumption uh, in many ways is that crowning. This is why in the devotional of the rosary, we have the coronation. Yes. We meditate upon the coronation, Mary's crowning. So very yeah. important. In 2000, uh, Pope St. John Paul II wrote a book called Theotokos, and you have mentioned the word Theotokos again, Theo, God, Tokos, bearer. Mary is the God bearer. And in it, he uh, gives this quote, as we read again from St. Hermanos, quote, you dwell spiritually with us, and the greatness of your vigilance over us makes your communion of life with us stand out. Mm. I mean, I, I, I like these things. I mean, this guy, whom probably a lot of people hadn't heard of today, mm-hmm was quite, I don't want to say the word advanced, but anyway, he had devotion to Mary, and he was quite big on liturgy and public prayer, and thank heavens for him, at a time when uh, the Church was beginning to feel, well, the Church has always been under persecution. Sure, and as you're talking there, John, you really make a good point, because, yeah, it could be taken for granted that he is being quoted in this document or that document, whether it be Pius XII or St. John Paul II, but when you have a man who is lesser known quoted like this, specifically within a particular context, that is, Mary, we have to pay attention to that because there's something going on there. And one can well imagine his own devotion to uh, Mary, one that really sprung forth from his love for Jesus Christ, never to be forgotten. We must remember, always, anywhere and everywhere, John, that, properly speaking, it is first our love for Jesus Christ that leads us to Mary, because what did Jesus do? He honored his mother perfectly. You know, maybe some of us have the idea that we dishonor Jesus by honoring Mary, but that could never be further from the truth, yes. right? Uh, it does not take away from the honor of Jesus. You know, Fulton Sheen offers a wonderful analogy. You know, when a mother is receiving an award for her son who was lost on the battlefront, does it take away from her son? Of course not, uh, in no way, shape, or form. So there is no dishonor going on here. Uh, we must remember something. Let's simplify this. God, from all eternity, picked this one woman to be the God-bear, to yes. be the Theotokos. How can we think, how dare we think, that we would dishonor God by praying to the one, the one who is an intercessor, <laughs> that he picked, that God picked. We didn't pick this. We're not doing anything that God didn't already do, right? So when you draw back and you think about this more critically, yeah, I really don't think we have to be worried about any kind of dishonor. Now, that being said, and St. Hermanus of Constantinople would be the first person to say this, there can be a kind of Mariolatry, an overemphasis on Mary, and that would be when Mary is the end. And of course, we as Catholics do not believe that. Mary primarily is an intercessor, okay? And as an intercessor, she is taking our prayers and presenting them to her son. And think of it this way, John. She is a Jewish mother, Okay, she is going <laughs> to get what she wants in her own humble way. So why not go to the mother, right, uh, on our behalf, so that then the mother can present our prayers to her son. And uh, maybe she might be a little convincing, yes. <laughs> as, Fulton, okay. as Fulton Sheen once said. <laughs> yeah. Well, one other little thing about St. Hermanos is uh, a word that we've had before, I'm sure just everyone will remember it, 
monothelitism. Oh, that is, yes, uh, yes. Christ had only one will. Yes. That was an issue which he also dealt with. I mean, he's not known. I mean, that was part of his life, but that, that still had not quite died out mm-hmm. in the East. I think in the West by this time, they were, they were a little bit past it, but uh, mm-hmm. not so much in the Constantinople. John, you spoke briefly of liturgy, and maybe with the remainder of our time we can speak more to this. Certainly this was an aspect uh, that was very important to St. Hermanus of Constantinople. Yeah, he was quite involved in all aspects of liturgy, including music, buildings, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the way that, that, that the prayers were constructed. Mm-hmm. This could be because, remember, prayer, liturgy is our public prayer to God. And he wanted to make, he was quite concerned that this would be done properly and reverently, and we would be able to raise our minds and our hearts to God well through this. And uh, that was one of the causes of his bishopric for the 15 years he was bishop of Constantinople. Beloved by his people, or beloved by the, the Christians of mm-hmm. Constantinople. This iconoclastic thing, uh, after he died, there was a second consul of Nicaea, sometime around uh, 767, something around there, and they approved everything that he did, mm-hmm. and icons uh, have been in the church. I mean, I don't want to say ever since, so they've been there before, but mm-hmm. icons are certainly, uh, this particular, this was the seventh ecumenical consul that they approved icons, as he did. And icons were important to the celebration of the liturgy, because again, an icon uh, is, is a window into another reality, something that helps us draw us into our spiritual worship. You know, we talk about this actuoso participatio, our active participation in the liturgy. You talked about uh, this public worship. We are able to enter into more dynamically this public worship when our senses are drawn to beauty. Yes. Uh, so this is very important. Something else, you talk about public worship. And the word liturgy itself actually means public work. Well, public work, public worship, that's two different things, right? Not necessarily. Work within the context of salvation, a work of salvation. We go to Mass uh, because (laughs) in the Mass we are entering into a deeper union with God. We must remember what the liturgy is. It is an actualization of what happened on Calvary. Earlier we were talking about the true luck of the cross, John. Well, what happened on Calvary? Well, the blood and water flowed from the side, uh, and that blood and water was symbolic of just not the waters of baptism, but also the blood of the Eucharist. When Jesus Christ says, John, it is finished, the best rendering of that uh, phrase is consumatum est, it is consummated. Well, what is consummated? God with man. It's God with man. And when we receive the Eucharist, to become one, and we say with Jesus, amen, consumatum est, right? To become one. This is a work of salvation, okay? So this is all uh, very important when we start talking about the stuff of liturgy. I'm looking up at the clock, John, and I think we're out of the time. Uh, Rich program, John, St. Hermanus of Constantinople. You know, a, a man that, you know, if you want to go deeper into your devotion to Mary, your proper devotion to Mary, I would really encourage you to read his writings, Yeah, to, to go online, uh, not only newadvent.org, but certainly you can buy a few books out there, uh, and you're going to be enriched uh, with a deeper understanding of not only Mary as the Mother of God, but also, as we spoke to briefly uh, this evening, John, Mary's uh, Immaculate Conception, and of course, uh, the Assumption. So with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, and we will pray uh, to Our Lady. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.